Welcome to Kingdom Life Church, Stellenbosch. May this life-giving word activate your faith today. This morning I want to continue and my sermon, theme of my sermon this morning is designed to win in life. Now we started out with the sermon called Designed for His Glory. We looked at design for faith. We are designed to have faith in life. Then Sean came in and he spoke about design for joy, to walk in joy. And he believes that this is a year to walk in joy. And then um, last week I spoke about design to hear his voice. Hopefully it opened your heart towards and your ears towards how we can listen to actually to God. That, that, that he actually speak all the time. We just need to tune our receiver. That's the big thing. Now this morning I want to speak this. And it's, and it's one of my favorite topics to speak about. You see, I grew up in a sport-loving family. We love sport and we still do. See, my, my dad has been coaching athletics for 50 years. Literally, this year, 50 years. My mom was a national record holder in 800, and she traveled the world. She, um, she was getting on the plane for the Munich Olympic Games, and then they heard South Africa was just boycotted. And uh, she missed that, but she was ranked in the world for a lot of years, and she's still, still well-known, but uh, she's more well-known for loving God today than every, any, any, anything else. And, and, and uh, we're so privileged to have parents like that. But I grew up in a family that loved sport. And so, so I grew up always asking myself this question, how can I be a winner? How can I win in life? Have you ever had that in your life? Come on, let's just be honest here this morning. I was a young man. It's like, how can I be a champion, a winner, doing this and that and this in my life? Because I really wanted to. I grew up in a sporting family. I love sport. I love sport today. I love rugby. I love everything um, sporting-wise. I wasn't good at everything, but, but I love it. And all of us go through that times in life, so how can I be a winner in life? Now, one of my favorite stories, I wanted to put a picture on, but I totally forgot. But it's a story about a man called Lasse Viren. How many of you heard about Lasse Viren? Lasse Viren was one of the most famous um, 10,000 and 5,000 meter runners in the world in the 70s, late 60s, 70s. And let me just give you a quick backdrop before I tell you the story of this one of, this, one of my favorite moments in sport. And so he was a double world champ in 5 and 10,000 meters. That, that's quite incredible. To be a double world champion, but he's never won Olympic title. Never. He, 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 between the two uh, world championships, he missed the Olympics, and, and it was 1972 Munich Olympic Games, and he stood on the, on the starting line being the number one 10,000-meter runner in the world at that stage. Double world champ, never won an Olympic medal in his life. And the gun went off, and there they went. And they ran for about five kilometers. They, they went around the track. I mean, a 10,000-meter around the track is, is a lot of laps. So they started doing laps and laps and laps, and about six, seven laps to go, him and uh, Muhammad Gumaudi, he was the, um, he was the, the, the reigning Olympic champ at that stage. He was the number two in the world. I mean, these two guys were chasing each other up and down the track all over the world in, in every circuit. So they were gunning each other, and something happened, and both of them trip and fall. And the guys were gone, and they're sitting, and it's 150 meters, 200 meters behind, and both of them get up, and they start running. And they start running. And after about two laps, trying to gain on the pack, Muhammad Gamadi 
said, I'm going to give up. He's a Moroccan runner, one of the greatest of that time. He just said, I'm done. He pulls off, but not La Severin. He started running harder and harder and harder. Every 100 meters, he gained two meters. He gained more meters. And it was the last lap, and they went into 400 meters, and it was at, it was at the back of the pack leading this race. And it was a very close race. It was, a, it was a world record pace, and he was still gaining on them. And as they were coming into the home straight, he was coming in with the top, top two guys, chasing and running into this. I mean, just, just picture it for yourself. This guy came from 200 meters behind, coming, chasing for the gold medal, dipping the line and winning with a shoulder, with a new world record. One of the most incredible moments in the history of the Olympic Games. And he did, that Olympic Games, he became a double Olympic champ with the 10 and the 5,000 meter. Then in the next Olympic, retaining his time, his two titles, being probably the only, one of the, 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 I think one or two or three, doing a double-double. That means taking a double at one Olympics and the next Olympics taking another double. One of the greatest stories. I love that story. I love listening to stories when someone won, don't you? I love that. Now, personally, I've never met someone that really liked to lose something. It's like, I mean, going to the game. Hey, we're going to the game today. Man, I can't wait to lose today. <laughs> I've never heard about that. Come on, we like to win in life. Now, if you study the Word and you read your Bible, you'll see that God had winning in mind when He designed us. He had winning in mind when He created you. That was it. When he created to you, and, and, and like David said, he knew every little detail when he put us together, he had winning in mind. Now look at 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20, 26 and 20, 24 to 25. I love this scripture, and it's so well known. It says, Paul writes, he says, Don't you realize that in every race, or that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Run to win. See, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but, but we do it for what? For an eternal prize. See, it's a big difference. See, the great piece, of, this great piece of Scripture, man, I love this Scripture. If you let me loose on this Scripture, I'll probably keep you busy for a few hours and I'll do a couple of sermons on it because it is so rich with truth right in there. No, but Paul writes this Scripture in a very significant time. Very significant. Um, he was writing this while attending, while living in Rome and attending some sporting events that the Romans loved to do. They had the Colosseum and they had all the sporting stuff. Um, and, and they just loved competing against each other, which wasn't very morally right, but that's, he was watching this games. And he started writing this. So in, while attending this, God gave him some life lessons through sport. Isn't that incredible? It's almost like God knew what an impact sport will be in our lives today. And in culture today, if you like sport or not, sport has an impact in culture. Just think about what happened when the Springboks won the World Cup or this. I mean, the country is, is up in arms. They, they love it and they sing and accept the, the All Blacks. But we will we'll pray for you. <laughs> so Paul says the following. He says, run to win. Isn't that powerful? He says, run to win. And it means that there is something active in winning. It's not you're not going to lie on the couch with your potato chips, your knickknacks, and say, man, I'm so ready to win today. Yay. No, you're not winning. There's something active 
in a winning lifestyle. There's something that we get up and we run towards the goal and the prize to what God. I'm not talking there is some performance, but there is grace. But in grace, there's something that God has given us. So Paul actually says, live your life like you're running a race. So live to, to win. Live to win. See, we don't go into a race to lose. I don't know about you. I try to be, to be the best. Now, I always say, I don't, everybody, because I was a professional runner for, for such a time, think that, man, Henny, you are super competitive. I'm actually not. But I am competitive to myself. I want to beat my best. I want to be the best. I want to I give the best that I have. So I'm very competitive towards myself. But Paul comes and he talks about the race of life. And he says that, that with the race of life, the focus on a prize of winning in life is eternal, not temporal. It's an eternal focus. Man, we are competing for a prize that is so much bigger than natural stuff that we're competing for in life. See, in a normal race, we lose, we win, we mature as a competitor. And that's why I always tell my, my athletes, when I coach them, so you will mature, but you need to learn how to lose and how to win and how to mature. But in the race of life, there is so much more at stake, so much more. This is not just a little race. This is the race of life, and we cannot afford to miss the prize that we have already been given. Do you hear that? See, we can't miss, afford to miss the prize that we have already been given. I don't know about you, but if I know that I've been given the prize before the race starts, I'm going with a different attitude into the race. I love the Winter Olympics. How many of you watch the Winter Olympics? It's incredible. And, and sometimes with the runs they do, they want to do three or four runs. By the second or third run, before they have to do the last run, the winner already knows they win. They've won. And with how much confidence they go into that last run, just enjoying that moment. And that's exactly what I, I picture with God. I say, you already have the prize. Now enjoy winning in life. Enjoy winning in life. So, so where do we start winning in life? Where do we start? My coach always said, Henny, winning starts with a decision. Deciding today to get up, to go to training, to gym. Deciding to be intentional. Winning in life starts with a decision, but it's a, more, it's a much greater decision than you think. You see, the first thing that we need to remember is that winning in life starts from the inside out. From the inside out. Look at Romans 5 verse 17. I love this scripture. It says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace in His gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Don't you think it's incredible to know that we can live in triumph over sin all the days of our lives? You see, Paul comes and he actually brings in contrast two people, Adam and Jesus. He says that Adam is the old nature. He's the old man. And Adam lost the battle. He caused death to rule over us. What actually means he lost the trophy and he lost the victory. That's what Adam did. He lost it. But then Jesus came, and he represents the new nature, the grace and righteousness, and he made us triumphant. And what did he do? He solidified the prize. 
He solidified it. That means that nobody can change it ever again. Nobody can. That we are in triumph over sin and death. That means if, if I'm triumphant, that means I'm winning in life. I'm standing victorious. Now, as a Christian, we need to realize that, that there is things in our old nature that will cause us to fail. <laughs> it will. It will cause you to fail in life. Things like guilt, insecurity, bad habits, maybe pride or passiveness or anger. I mean, I can go on and on. It's, it's things in our lives that cause us to fail. It causes us to go off route from what God has given us. But the new man in Christ lives victoriously in grace, free from the old man. I mean, every time I read the Scriptures, I realize how powerful it is that the grace of God actually came and, and freed us so powerfully. So, so winning starts from within us, from the inside out. It's like watching someone accomplish something on TV and something inside of you says, Man, I think I can do that. Have, you, have it ever happened to you? I mean, the guy rowing in the sea and it's like, I, I can do that. Or someone accomplishing something, there's something deep inside you that says, I can do that. Why? Because it's from the inside out. It's not from the outside in. I've met big, I've met big men with huge muscles who never accomplished anything because it never came from the inside out. They never believed they could. They never did. Now it's important to know that the devil hates us living from a place of victory. Did you know that? He hates it. The enemy hates it that we are living from a place of victory. He can't stand it. So he battles and fights to keep us from seeing and believing that. There's a fight on every day for you to not believe what God has called you to. There's a fight on. And are you sitting back with your, on the couch? Are you standing up and facing this fight? to win in life. Listen to what Ephesians 6 says. 6 verse 12. It's well known. It says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against every, every rule, evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. See, the word says our fight as believers is not physically or physical. It is spiritual. It's a spiritual fight. We need to fight to step in to be victors. To win in life. You see, the old nature always has one distinct root that causes, sorry, that, that causes us to believe that we've lost already. What is that root? It is one of the strongest weapons of the enemy. Do you know what it is? Look. 1 Timothy 2.7 says, For God has not given us what? A spirit of fear. But he's given us three things more. He's given us power, love, and self-discipline or a sound mind, as some of the Scripture says. You see, fear is the root problem of 99% of spiritual failure in our lives. Fear. See, fear is, is a spirit, not an emotion. And sometimes it feels like an emotion, but it's a spirit. I can give you a lot of testimonies about this. When I got this, I mean... 2016, five years ago, I went through severe burnout and ended up facing for eight months longer intense anxiety and, and just everything just go haywire and until I listened to a sermon one day and, 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 I, and I think that, that fear is actually a spirit. 
it's not an emotion. It's a spiritual thing. And every, thing that, every time that thing comes up, I will do the following. I will stop and say, ah, sorry, I will not partner with that spirit. And every time I did that, something lifted. Step by step, slow, process by process. See, we can even partner with the spirit of fear and let the enemy come in and keep us from our promise or we can say, ah, sorry, not my, not my erf porsi. <laughs> my, my English is gone today. My, my what? My inheritance. Thank you. From all black. Eh? <laughs> See, fear is, is a spirit, not an emotion. It paralyzes us from within to do what? To withhold us from the grace and the freedom that God has paid for us. That's what fear does. Pulls out all the mercy and all the grace that you see from, and then you start feeling guilty because you're fearful. Fear is one of the strongest weapons of the enemy. And the goal of the enemy, the enemy assault is to, to scare us out of our divine destiny. He wants to scare you out of it. It's like Paul sitting at the, at the edge of that boat, wind and waves crashing over the edges, with Jesus standing there, and, 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 and Peter realized that. I can do this. And Jesus says, come. And he had to overcome the fear and the anxiety and the stuff and says, here we go. And then we know the story from there on. There's an incredible, incredible quote that I want to share with you this morning from Chris Vallotton, one of my favorite writers and, 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 and prophetic guys in, in the world. He says the following. He says, fear is the most socially accepted sin in the church. Ouch. He says, fear is a serial killer, the prime suspect in the death of more people on the planet than all, of, and than, than all other diseases combined. Fear in every form has been linked to heart disease, cancer, immune system disorders, mental illness, and many other sicknesses. But then he says, fear is the welcome mat to the mnemonic activity in our lives. It's, a, it's, it's quite a powerful quote out of his book, Spirit Wars. And and I read this and I realized, Lord, am I missing something? That fear has got me on a leash. And he's doing with me what I wanted it to do. And because of that, I'm not winning in life. I might be a winner on a sport field. I might be a winner in my business. I might be a winner here. But in life, fear is beating me up. See, a huge starting block to win in life is to conquer our fears. It is. And we all know the story of Israel. Do you remember the story of Israel? Slave, in slavery in Egypt. The most powerful nation in the world. And God came and he freed them from that hand, of the, from the Egypt, Egyptians. Ten plagues. It was amazing. See, God promised them the promised land. And then he took them out of Egypt's oppression and slavery. No, God conquered the most powerful nation in the world. Listen, He made a way through the Red Sea. He fed two million plus people in a desert. Have you ever seen, oh Lord, we need meat. Okay, there will be quail for every one of you tomorrow. I mean, there must have been a big mother hen quail. Producing quail for two million people every day. Miraculous. And then what He did, He gave them shade every day in the day, and he gave them heat and light in the night. How, how do you think walking through the desert with a fire column 
on top of your heads, firing and lighting the way. I mean, that is miraculous. Lord, we are hungry. We are thirsty. Moses, where's the water? He strikes a rock. Water starts gushing out of the rock. And as they go on, the rock follows them in the desert. How freaky is that? I mean, that is miraculous stuff that these guys faced. And then Israel arrived at the promised land. We made it. Our promised land. And God said to Moses, send out 12 spies. Remember the story? And they came back. Numbers 13, verse 31 to 33. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Listen, the 12 spies just came back. Now they're giving report. And they said, Moses said, and, 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 sorry, and they stood before Moses. Let's go out at once, he said. This is Caleb. Caleb and Joshua was one of the two, or two of the, the, the 12 spies. He, Caleb says, let's go out at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread the bad report about the land among the Israels. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. As the people we saw were huge and we even saw giants. Two different viewpoints. One out of faith, one out of fear. See, fear is faith in the wrong God. It's faith in the wrong God. See, my first question was that, how could Israel go through experiencing one of the, so, well, so many of the mightiest miracles the world has ever seen? They go through all these things, walking through a sea. There was, hey man, there was a sea now. Now there's a, there's a walkway. Not, not having anything to eat, but picking up your food and eating. And you come through the, to the promised land. You see, Joshua and Caleb wanted to pick a fight with the giants and get their promise. That's what they wanted. But the crowd preferred to reduce God's promise to the level of their fear. How many of us reduce God's promise to the level of our fear? Have you thought about that? I mean, that's for me is a scary thought every day I look at it. I realize, Lord, am I reducing your promises in my life because I am fearful? How many times have that happened to us? But Henny, that was Israel, man. They, were, they had issues. These, the, these guys had issues in the desert. They moaned and, I mean, talk about issues. But how about the greatest prophet that the Old Testament or the greatest prophet in the Bible? How about him? That's men of miracles. Surely, I mean, that's a, the other side of the, the pole. Surely a prophet would not fail like moaning the moaning Israelites. <laughs> so let's look at a guy called Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. And he reached the pinnacle of his ministry. Have you ever seen someone reaching the pinnacle of his job or career? Man, he says, nothing can go wrong. You're at the height of all heights. Everything is going like you've dreamed, prayed for, everything. That was where Elijah was. Elijah was there. See, he walked into the palace of a king who tried to kill him, was looking to kill him because he prophesied a drought because of the unrighteousness of the king. And it became severe drought for three years. 
And God said to him, after three years, he said, go to the king, King Ahab, walking to the palace and said, the drought is over. I want to see you and all your prof- Baal prophets, because they were serving Baal. I want to see you guys on the top of the mountain. So then in front of the whole nation, the king not just took the Baal prophets, he took the whole nation with 450 of his Baal prophets, and they went up the mountain. And he stood off against 450 Baal prophets to see whose God was the real God. Remember that story? In 1 Kings? See, long story short, Elijah shows the true power of God. He calls down fire. He turns a whole nation back to God. Think about that in one moment. And then what did he do? He killed 450 Baal prophets. Talk about a victory. What a victory. <laughs> Talk about a good day. Huh? But that wasn't all. The chapter ended with him doing some superhero stuff. It wasn't done yet. So he went up the mountain and he was, God said, well, the rain is coming. The drought is over. He just was victorious over the prophets. He showed that God is the true God. He turned the nation to God. And then he went up the mountain with his servant and they were looking for clouds. And they saw a little cloud there and he ran and he said to the king, King, you better take your chariot and head for the city because rain is coming. And then this happened. 1 Kings 18 verse 46. I love the scripture. He says, this is how the, 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 the chapter ends. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab, Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Do you know that that was a 20 mile run? You see, a 20 mile race against a chariot. And a chariot had a head start. And he outran the chariot by I don't know how much. I, I must have seen them. I, I would have loved seeing the King Ahab's face. Like, here comes Elijah the prophet, tucked his robe in. He just. Incredible. Flash Gordon of the Bible. You see, Elijah's faith in God produced some incredible, I mean, it produced an incredible resume. Can I tell you quickly? It says the following. He caused a drought because he prophesied it. Then he was miraculously fed by birds, God hiding him because the king wanted to kill him. Then he multiplied a widow's food out of nothing. Then he raised the widow's son from the dead. Then he defeated the prophets of Baal in a contest. He called down fire from heaven. He turned the whole nation back to God. He ended the drought and he kicked a chariot's butt. (laughs) I mean, that's quite quite a good moment to end your day. And that's not all in a day. It's in a couple of weeks. A good moment to end your day. Running ahead of a chariot, but then that was the last verse of chapter oh sorry of chapter eighteen. Look at the first verse of chapter nineteen. When Ahab got home, now the king just got home, he said, He told Jezebel everything Elijah has done. That's his wife, very bad. Very bad. Everything Elijah has done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. By the way, the prophets of Baal was ran by Jezebel. That was her prophets. She was the prophetess, extraordinary, what, what major bad. So Jezebel sent this message 
to Elijah. Elijah was sitting probably at home, and he was basking, and it's like, man, this is amazing. And this message came to him and said, may the, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you've killed them. Then listen to what happened. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Now that word fled in Hebrew means actually running with fear. Running away. <laughs> This is a guy who just saw the mightiest of miracles. He saw how God changed the whole nation back to him. He called down fire from heaven. And he had a little message from Jezebel. It was like, man, I'm, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. It's like, why didn't you just come and kill me? Why did you send a message? She could have stormed in with all the palace guards and just killed him on the spot. But she didn't. You see, yesterday Elijah was winning in life. Now he was running for his life. How could this happen? How could one person change from total boldness to total fear so quickly? How? Because he quit trusting in the Lord. It was, you remember, it was Elijah's absolute faith in God that made everything possible that he saw. His absolute faith. And when Elijah stopped trusting the Lord and started reading the newspaper articles about him, looking at the news and saying, oh, then suddenly he started failing. Let me give you a quick illustration. Say, it's like flying in a plane. When you, all of us have flown in a plane, hopefully, before. If, if not, may you have a plane ride soon. But all of us have flown. If you're flying in a plane... We are not the ones who are flying. It's the plane. It is just my position in the plane that caused me to fly. Did, did you get that? You see, I am not flying the plane. I'm sitting in the plane. The plane is doing the flying. It is my position in the plane that caused me to be flying. See, if we step out of the plane, I drop like a rock. I do. Elijah stepped out of his faith and dependence on God and he started falling. He looked at the things that he wasn't supposed to look at. And in con you see, <laughs> it's a, a constant fight to guard our faith in Jesus and what he has done. It's a constant fight. See, God empowered us with everything we will ever need to succeed. He did. But sometimes our fear is so great that we forget our faith. We step off of that place like, oh, Lord, I'm fearful. I'm fearful. I don't know how I'm going to do this. This is happening. Oh, it's too much, Lord. It's too much. I'm... And then you sway away from, from, Lord, I'm anyway doing this in faith. You see, we forget that we were designed for faith. We forget that we were designed to win in life. God didn't design us, said, you were designed to win, but there will be fear. So deal with it. <laughs> it's probably right. But he already dealt with it on the cross. And the enemy knows it, but he comes in with his weapon to get our mind and our focus away from what God has already promised us. And instead of winning in life, Fear caused us to run for our lives. Have you ever been in a place where you feel like you're just running for life? 
I'm just running from one end to the other end. I'm just doing this. I'm in first gear, second gear. Uh, this, this. I mean, the, the car engine is revving up. I'm just longing. And then God just comes and says, let me just put this thing in fifth gear. But now they're sixth gear. And then you start cruising and you realize, oh Lord, my focus was on the wrong thing. I was trying to fly. Instead, I had to take my position in the plane. So how do we win fear to win in life? It's a good question. I want to close with, with this. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, The weapons we use in our fights are not made by humans. Rather, they are powerful weapons from God. With them we destroy people's offenses, that is, their arguments and their intellectual arrogance that opposes the knowledge of God. But then it says, We take every thought captive so that it is obedient to Christ. See, we fight fear with words and confessions. How is your words and your confessions stepping out of that place of faith? See, we so easily say, oh man, this is happening, this is... No, no, sometimes we need to say, okay, it's happening. But you know what? The truth is still the truth. My God is still victorious. Sometimes I have to take confessions, that scriptures that says, my God will supply in all my needs. <laughs> he will do more exceedingly abundantly above all I ask or think. He, I mean, I mean uh, that's why we need to, to memorize Scripture in our lives so that we can do confessions, so we can remind ourselves of the truth. And it's not a religious thing. It's something it's like almost we packing arrows in our quiver. I remember how easy fear can take you from one moment to another moment. I didn't want to tell this testimony, but I feel I have to. Some of you probably have heard it. But I was a runner earlier in my life before I went into ministry. I was a 400 meter hurdler. I remember in 1999, that's 22 years ago. Wow. 21 years ago. And, um, and I, I, I received my national colors for the first time. I went to the World Student Games in, in Spain and came back and I heard I was in the All-African Game team. That's the South African team for the All-African Games in Joburg. So they had a big team and we didn't have to travel. And uh, so I was off. I was running 400 hurdles and that was it. I remember, man, it was such a big moment for me because at World Student Games, I, I think I came 16th. I've dropped out of my heat and I think I made the semifinal just and... So I came back, I was in a high. I was like, man, I'm like my first time national colors. And I've, uh, my mom was a national uh, runner. Now, I mean, I've followed her footsteps. I was proud of myself. I could have retired right there, but I was still young. So I heard I was, I was in the, the squad. So I came there. I did my hurdles. I did super bad. I came last in my heat, like super last. The moment was just too big for me. And I was just like so sad. I walked off and... And I, I got in my car and I, we drove home because I didn't have to stay there. It was, there. There were still two, three days left. And I got home. Next morning I woke up and the team manager calls me. It's like, hey, Henny, are you still in Joburg? I said, um, no, because I had still to be in a village. I, was, I just ducked and dived. And he said, well, um, one of our prime guys for the 400 injured his hamstring. You have to run tomorrow 4x4. Four four. You're in. I said, no, no, I didn't want to tell him, well, I'm on potch. I still, so I said, yeah, yeah, don't worry, I'll be there. <laughs> so I raced back next day um, for the final. There was, uh, there was already heats, and he got injured in the heat, so I had to run the final. So now, I mean, 
just to give you some backdrop, I wasn't a very quick runner. I was a strong runner at the end. I, that's why I was doing hurdles. Because the 400 guys are good sprinters. They're really strong and fast. Um, and, uh, and I was probably under the top 15 in the country, 400-wise, but I couldn't make the team. So because all the 400 runners in the team, there was nobody. I was a 400 hurdler. I was the first pick. So they picked me, and I was running. I was warming up in a warm-up uh, warm track with um, two of the guys was the national record holder, Hendrik Mokhanietse, Arno Malerbe, and, and there was uh, Adrian Boeta was uh, with me. So we traveled together all over the world. We, uh, we just came from all student games. So we had a nice laugh and a chat, and so I said to all guys, by the way, what leg am I running? Because, um, and, 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 and um, Arno Malerbe said to me, I said, Henny, well, we are so set in our, this is our world champ squad. All of us have our specialized legs that we run. So Adrian starts, Marcus Lagrange, he ran the second leg, He's got, he got injured. So you have to run the second leg, and then Hendrik will run third, and, and, um, and I will run fourth. And, uh, and I could feel the fear coming over me. It's like, so, but can't you just let me start, because there's not a lot of pressure on me. But the second leg is the toughest leg of all. The second leg is the longest leg of all. And if you mess up with the second leg, you mess up the whole relay for most of the guys. And I, I didn't want to show them I'm super scared. And I said, okay, let me just go take a walk. And, <laughs> and I thought, well, well, Nigeria's here and Congo's here. And there's a couple of guys that, I mean, these guys are incredible runners. And I thought maybe we'll be in the pack or maybe at, at the back, you know. And then Hendrik and, and, and Arno will gain and try to get a medal as soon as there's no pressure on me. So the, uh, walk up the track, and, and the, um, um, what's his called? called? Adrian goes off on the first leg, like a normal 400 meters, and, and he comes around. You get this baton, but you have to run a bit further before you can cut in at the 300-meter mark. So, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm getting this way wrong. I was running third leg. So Hendrik Mohanietzi was running the second leg, but the third leg is the most important because if you miss, if you, if you fade with momentum at the third leg, then you mess up the last leg. So all the first two guys can work as hard as they can and gain whatever position they want to gain. If you mess up the third leg, then everything is a mess. So, so Adrian went off, Hendrik Mohanietzi got, got the baton, and he was like in the pack. You know, it's like, man, this is great. He's in the pack, he's like, fifth or six, and just stay there, bro, just stay. So, so as they on the 200 meters, then you have to find your place on the spot. So if your team are first on the 200, you're in lane one, waiting for the baton, second, third. So we were about fifth, so I was in the fifth lane, waiting for the baton. I thought, okay, yes, Hendrik coming, coming, and, and we still laugh at this today. And at the 150, somewhere along the line, Hendrik Mohanietzi got a spurt of energy. I don't know where it comes from, but he went from fifth to way in front. <laughs> he started sprinting and he went all the way. He went further ahead. And I thought, Hendrik, just don't, don't. And so I'm now, now the pressure's on me because he's gaining like 50, 20 meters, 10 meters. And I thought, Jesus, help me. How am I? I'm not the fastest one. And here he's coming. And I could see the, uh, all of us like pulling their faces. And I'm standing here and fear literally paralyzes me in that moment. Literally. Have you ever felt fear that you, you're so numb, you don't know where I'm going to stand? I'm just making if I'm, I'm just trying to loosen up. I don't want to show them that I'm terrifying. And I have to move 
to lane one, but I can't. And, 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 and I look next to me is the Nigerian guy. He is literally this high. <laughs> he won the 400-meter individual with a 44-1-1. That's, that's quite fast in that day. Nowadays it's not. And I realized he's standing next to me, and the guy next to him is from Kenya. He did a 45-something. And he, I, mean, I think my PB is like a 48-something. And I thought, Jesus, help me. And in that moment, I was standing there. I just said, Father, I need you. I need you. And I can't describe this, but within one moment, the fear turned into boldness. Just like that. And I was standing there, and I was like, instead of trying to hide away, I was pushing and shoving the Nigerian guy out of there. I said, get out of the way, we're in front. And suddenly God did something in one moment. I mean, this is, this is within five seconds from him coming around the corner, facing me, knowing I'm knowing I'm in trouble. And in one moment, said, Jesus, I really need you. And within one moment, the peace, uh, the, the fear turned into absolute boldness. And I received that baton. And man, I ran like I've never ran in my life. And, when I, and I didn't look next to me. When I gave over the baton to Arno, we were together with Nigeria. Supernatural. And we ended up coming second. So it's okay. Ended up getting a silver medal at the, at the All-African Games. Not knowing that I'm going to run. You see, so many of us are facing things. God shove you into certain positions, into things in your life. And fear starts to grip you. And you're like, Lord, what, what am I going to do with this? And all he wants you to do is turn your attention and your affection to him in that moment, and just say, Lord, I need you. I need you. I need you. There's some of you sitting here today that says, Lord, I need you. I need you. I, I can't face all these things that's banging, like coming around me. It seems too big. It seems to this. All he wants you to do is say, I need you. And you know what? When I said that, I could experience he was just standing right, right next to me. He was there all the time. I was fearful. And sometimes in our lives we are looking for God and Lord, will you come now? And it's like Omar like Maria said, He is here all the time with me. In the toughest moments, in the fearest of fear that I have. See, God designed us to win in life, but the truth is we have to step into the victory. Jesus already, Jesus already won it. We just need to step into that victory. See, that's why the Bible calls us what? More than conquerors. You've really done it. Just step into it. So how do we act like winners? We keep our eyes on Jesus. Peter, come. Oh, Lord, okay, let me just look at you. Keep our eyes on Jesus. So no matter how tough or how hard the fight in life is, Jesus already kicked the enemies behind he did. We just need to keep on reminding the devil about it. Just keep on reminding him. Sorry, I won't partner with you today. You have already been won. You are not in victory, I am. You are defeated. So it's time for us to step up and win in life. Remember that, that movie, and I want to quickly, I don't think I've got it on here. Yeah. Have you ever watched the movie After Earth? It's a sci-fi movie with Will Smith and his son. 
And he's talking about one, probably one of the greatest quotes in a movie. And I, you know me, I never give movie quotes or anything, but this was quite great. And Will Smith turned to his son in that movie, and it's a great movie. He says to him, fear is not real. The only place that fear can exist in it is in our thoughts of the future. It is a product of our imagination causing us to fear things that do not at present and may not ever exist. That is near insanity. Do not misunderstand me. Danger is very real, but fear is a choice. Man, I thought, what a powerful quote. It's not biblical, but it might as well be. It is, it is a choice. See, God gave us a choice to step into fear or into our promise to win in life. Let's choose to step into our original design. Our original design to have faith, to step into His glory, to have joy in our lives. But you know what? To win in life. To win in life. And you feel that maybe this morning that <clears throat> all I've been doing is losing the last 10 years. I've been stuck in first gear, second gear. I just can't get into that fifth and sixth gear. God is about to change your perspective. He's about to change your focus. There's some of us sitting here this morning that you've got dreams and desires in your heart and you don't know how you're going to get there and you feel stuck because you're not winning in life. God says, I'm busy changing your perspective. I'm busy changing the way you look at life away from fear all the way to faith. All the way to faith. Amen. Can we stand together? I want to pray with us. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can pray together. And we know that you are in control. Father, you are the God of the universe. The, the, the I am, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And we're so sorry, Father, that we reduce your promises and your greatness and your glory. Reduce it to the level of our fear sometimes, Father. Father, I want to come and pray for our hearts this morning. I want to thank you, Father, that no matter what the enemy or the world or stuff throw at us, that we're stepping up today in our hearts. We're stepping up. We're stepping out of that boat. Lord, I pray that we will hear your voice like, Lord, like never before. And then we will follow your voice and, and, and listen to your voice like, like we said last week, like, a, like the sheep of the shepherd listen to his voice. They know his voice. And Father, I pray that you will amplify your voice to us. Father, that we will not have to be religious about things. That we will hunger for a deeper relationship with the Father. That you never leave us. That you never forsake us, as the word says. I really feel that there's some of you here this morning and I don't want to pull individuals out but I've got a prophetic word for those individuals here this morning that feel that wow I feel the heavy burden coming on me already on me I feel the weight of my job or the weight of my family or the weight of caring the weight of this is getting too heavy on me Lord it's just too tough on me I hear how God says, get ready 
for me to move. Get ready for me to shift things into something new. I see how you are in the race of life and you're tiring and you're tiring and, and I see how God comes next to you and He's putting His hand on your back and suddenly the energy comes and there's more energy and suddenly you can feel that there's a surge coming and you start running stronger and stronger and as soon as you can get yourself you're running at full speed to how God has created you to run how God has called you to be all you need to do is look for him next to you Father I pray this morning that we will realize that you are next to us that you are next to us Father and Lord, I pray that, that you will shift our fears this morning from fear to boldness in one moment. Lord, we need you. We need you in our families. We need you in our finances. We need you in our jobs. Lord, we need you in everything in our lives. We need you, Father. If you're here and you feel like that, won't you just put your hand on your heart? Or put your hand in the air or whatever you feel just to say, Lord, this is me. This is me. I need you, Father. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. For more detail, visit www.klcstellenbosch.co.za.